You're listening to Everything's Totally Fine. Each episode, we bring you people who share stories about their lives. I'm Allie Hawk, and I'll be your host. So keep listening to hear about the times we pretend everything's totally fine. Our guest for this episode is a journalist, and his work has been published in The Atlantic, Discover, and The Paris Review. And he's also worked as a middle school and high school teacher. I'm going to call him Jacob, though that's not really his name. A quick warning that this episode contains a lot of conversation about sexual behavior, and it's the most explicit of any episodes I've ever had, so please be warned. And so we're going to join Jacob when he's 14 years old. It's the summer between his freshman and sophomore year of high school, and his family has just inherited his grandmother's car, which they call Brownie. And we'll join him hanging out with his border collie. I spent a lot of days watching TV alongside my black and white dog. Mm-hmm. And um, it was lonely. Uh, and it was, it was boring. And at a certain point, I started measuring my days in the time between when The Price is Right finished and when The Simpsons came on at 6.30. Okay. I just had nothing going on in these summer breaks. And... Um, so it was somewhere around this time that Bubby's car appeared at my house. And uh, I decided to take it for just a really short spin, just up and down the driveway. This is not a very big driveway. This is just, I don't know, 25 feet back and forth. And were your parents home? No. No, it was just me. Um, me and I guess, I guess my older brother was there too. And, Were you uh, careful about like where you put the keys again so that they wouldn't know, your parents wouldn't know that the car had been moved? This is an interesting feature of Brownie, which is that any blunt object, <laughs> anything could turn the car's ignition on. A plastic fork. Oh my gosh. A quarter. The uh, metal strap attached to the bottom of the seat. Oh, wow. It sounds like you've tried all these things. All of them. (laughs) (laughs) And they all worked. They all worked. They all turned on the ignition. So then the door was just unlocked to the car? Okay. Yeah, yeah. There was no fear that it was going to be stolen. Right, no. And so really no fear for you to get caught. You could just go in, turn it on with anything you had. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so I start by just driving it up and down the driveway, but that loses its luster after a while, and I decide I need more. So I started taking it up and down my block and it proceeded kind of uh, piecemeal the way that I think, you know, teenagers have uh, sexual experiences, the way that they sort of like dip their toe into something and then get comfortable with it and then dip their toe into something else. Yeah. And uh, and that's exactly what I did. So I drive it halfway down the street and then I drive it all the way to the bottom of the street and it became more and more normalized. Mm-hmm. I've never had any addictions, uh, cigarettes or alcohol or anything else it's just not really how I'm built but this was the only time in my life up until then that I felt a kind of addictive compulsion to do this yeah because it was thrilling and then the thrill would wear off with each time like you couldn't really you were chasing that same sort of thrill right yeah and you'd get used to it if it was half a block so you have to add a little bit more yeah okay yeah 
when were you thinking about it? And like, in what ways was it dictating your thoughts? I was thinking about it all the time. So gradually, Jacob built up more and more confidence. And one day he drove the car to a nearby shopping plaza. Let's say I needed to get something from CVS when I got my toothpaste. Uh, it was gone for 15 minutes. And uh, I came back to the parking spot and the car was gone. Oh, no. How are you going to get out of this situation? It was... It, my heart just sank. And I'm standing there having a meltdown in the middle of the parking lot. And what are you most afraid of? It was stolen and uh, and it'll never come back. And I am in some real shit. I didn't... My parents didn't punish me very much. I thought this was the time I was really in some shit. Mm-hmm. Then... Across the parking lot, far diagonal from where I was standing, Brownie was parked in a spot. And my first thought was someone somehow cloned Brownie. (laughs) It is literally Brownie as a clone across the parking lot. Is it that you parked there and forgot you parked there? It was impossible for that to be the case because I knew exactly where I parked. It was deep in the parking lot and I would not have driven that deep into it. You'd never parked that deep. No, no. Um, So I walked over to it and the door was unlocked. And I sat in it. I think I turned on the ignition and I was just flabbergasted. I was I I couldn't I couldn't even think straight. I was so confused about what had just happened. All of a sudden there was a pounding on the window. And it was a group of three of my friends all laughing hysterically. Oh my gosh. They knew that Brownie could be started with a quarter. Someone had some blunt object that they could put into the transmission. And they happened to see you go to the CVS. They were just there. Yeah, and they couldn't stop laughing at how petrified I looked. So that was the first, that was the first great Brownie tragedy. Mm -hmm. It didn't deter me, by the way. That what happened that day was just, my friends being jerks. So the days continued. I kept driving it. I had my, my daily joy rides. It was one or two a day. It wasn't more than that. Okay, but this was like a mainstay of your summer. Yeah, every activity. day. Yeah. Every day, one or two drives. Yeah. Day. Yeah. It it I, I'm telling you, it became the only compulsion I'd had in my life up until that point. I had to do it. Mm-hmm. And um so one day I you know back brownie out of my uh, out of my out of my driveway and uh, took it for a spin down the block and it came at this one point in in this drive uh, there was a, a t-shaped intersection mm-hmm. so I'm at a stop sign uh, and it you know capital shaped T and there's uh, on the on the other side of this is uh is just a, a street without any stop sign so the cars will continue to move through and i have to wait and observe to make sure no one's coming and make a left turn mm-hmm. which you don't know from driver's training no no I, but i mean i'm so good at driving right you know yeah so yeah that's how you feel like your demeanor is relaxed and confident yeah and so i'm at this but you're also still getting a thrill out of it yeah so there still is an, an element of uh novelty and excitement and otherness like there still must be if you were still getting a thrill yeah there was but you don't do it now you don't go out and drive four (laughs) blocks like you don't it doesn't that doesn't get your rocks off i wish it did i wish driving were still that fun 
But yeah, so it still was. There still was an element, even though you were feeling confident, there still was an element of it being like ex- like exciting and tantalizing. I guess so. I don't know how... I mean, at, so- at some point, I I can't speak for other people's compulsions, but at some point, the excitement gives way to just a basic need. Mm-hmm. You need to have this thing. You have this itch and you need to scratch it. Mm-hmm. So it's exciting in the sense that you're getting your fix but it wasn't like I, I had this this catharsis every time I did it it was just it was doing what I needed to do okay right so so I took the car out that day and I was at this intersection I pulled out from the stop sign and as I was beginning to make the left another car came down the stretch I just completely freeze oh no yeah I I I had no uh, no intuitive sense of putting my foot on the brakes. Um, not it, it just wasn't baked into me yet, even after all the driving I'd been doing. <laughs> and I kind of I kind of watched it happening, just okay. completely without any sense of agency. Just watched myself like in, out of body, totally out of body, watching myself slowly <laughs> inch forward the car is i'm not even gassing it i'm just my foot is off the either pedal and it's i'm just moving forward because it's in drive it's moving forward because it's in drive and slowly but surely inching toward this other car which i then crash into oh no and you have no not only do you not have a driver's license but you have never you don't know what you're supposed to do in a car accident oh of course you're 14 not. of course and I finished making my turn. I pull the car over and it's like the same feeling was when I thought the car had been stolen. My heart and stomach have both just sunk and I feel sick and I get out. Just to remind you what I look like at 14, not only was I not wearing shoes, so I was in, you know, white crew socks and a pair of uh, baggy skater shorts, but I probably have my hair spiked and I have a mouthful of braces. Okay. And I didn't look like I was 16. I looked like I was probably a late 13. Uh-huh. And I walked over and uh, the woman got out of her car. And I instantly start apologizing. And she sees her car and I think there's a little nick on the bumper. She looks at me and she looks at my pitiful little brownie idling off the side of the road. And she sees that I'm not wearing shoes. And I think she looks at my braces. And she just says, go home. And I completely obeyed her. And I, <laughs> I go back into the car. And I drive it up my up my block. And I park it in my driveway. And how are you feeling? I just, I'm, I'm disconsolate. I can't think. I can barely breathe. I'm are just, you shaking? I'm shaking. I'm just holding on to the, to the steering wheel sitting there in my driveway probably for 15 minutes and I get out of the car and I pat her back up into my house in my socks which are now dirty mm-hmm. from walking out in city streets and I never drive it again until I have a driver's license that ended it that ended it and so do you think you had more of a reaction to this than when the car went missing because you were experiencing it in real time like and you realize that your body wasn't responding the way it needed to to prevent an accident. Yeah. Yeah. The 
you know the the moment when the car went missing in the parking lot was it was baffling but the very real consequence of getting into an accident and actually getting away with it uh that that was that was the moment when i couldn't i couldn't have these escapades anymore so i didn't even want to either in the following days i looked out at the car and all i thought of was dread i had no uh i hadn't the compulsion was gone it, the joy had been shattered the need had been shattered um but i kept watching the prices right <laughs> So Mother's Day is coming up, and if you haven't gotten your mom a gift yet, I recommend checking out YouAreSportswear.com. It's a clothing company that makes athletic apparel that's designed for women to feel comfortable when they're working out. You can use the promo code ETFSHOW, and you'll get 10% off your order, plus free shipping. The next story involves a friend that Jacob made, who we're going to call Theo. And they met in fourth grade. Theo had just moved from Europe, and that wasn't even what made him cool. He was a little bit young for the grade and good at everything, and everybody wanted to be friends with him. And Jacob and Theo ended up becoming friends. They stayed friends, and we're going to join them four years later in eighth grade. So we remain really good friends. Best, I, I think of him as a best friend. He and I, you know, slept over at each other's houses pretty regularly. And... This one night, I, I'm at his house. He must have showered, and I uh, and I used the bathroom too. And I came back, and I found him getting dressed in his uh, in his bedroom. And so I saw him naked, and I wasn't revolted by it. And I was my response. It was a mix of two things. It was it was it was it was connected to how I felt about him in general, which was it was in a way awe and jealousy here's a here's a kid who's who's eight months younger than i am who should have been in the next grade you know it's just always you have that chip on your shoulder but he should have been like in the lower grade right and he has this like this like big dick and that was that was um uh that both kind of ashamed me because i was like why isn't my dick that big and also uh, was just sort of, it was uh, a sort of awe-inspiring thing, which was like, what the, f- what the fuck is with this, this guy's dick? Why is it so big? And I sat there thinking about it for the next few days, and it wasn't like, um, I wasn't like, I wasn't turned on by it. And uh, I was just like, I just thought about it constantly. Yeah. His dick is so much bigger than mine, because we're at this age now when, boys are talking about their dicks all the time and the idea of having a bigger than or smaller than dick is a better than or worse than mm-hmm. kind of metric and he hadn't really clued you in or out as to the size of it before like it was surprising yeah yeah no no um even though boys do show themselves off to each other all the time no he hadn't um and that night when i saw him i mean he saw me see him and we're both aware of what happened but we never talked about it afterward. We just went on with our days. Um, and so, I don't know, maybe a 
couple months later. I can't, I can't remember the exact timeline, but uh, I slipped over to his house again. And as I was lying in, in his bed, uh, at some point before falling asleep, he must have reached over and he either grabbed me by the genitals or he, I hate that word genitals. Can I take that back? You can take it back. What is it? Grab me by the dick? That sounds bad too. Grab my dick? Okay. Grab my dick. Uh, and or he or he grabbed my hand and led my hand over to his dick. And um I didn't really know what to make of what was happening. And um I I think I felt some weirdness about it, but um, also probably some weird excitement about it too. And that concluded that. Uh, and so that was just a touch. It was just like a touch, yeah. And I don't remember exactly which direction it went, but uh, again, the next day we never talked about it. Um. So we remained, of course, really good friends and all of our friends were in common and, um, and uh, hung out and we had our friend life. But over the coming weeks and months and then years um, at sleepover, at, after sleepover at his house or my house, um, he would initiate some sort of contact and I would um, feign surprise I would then sort of feign a little bit of resistance but not really it's not like I was saying like no 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 it was it was just a sort of resistance about like we shouldn't be doing this Mm -hmm. and then we would uh, and then we would start fooling around and uh and it 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 wasn't just touching i mean it 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 definitely escalated uh into just full full blown everything um full blown everything sex and that kind of became a template in some ways f- for what would happen over the next like 5 years and it was always the same and so when you'd go to sleepovers you knew it would lead there. It had been leading there. I think. I think so. But I wasn't like I wasn't going to these to these sleepovers and sitting there thinking about it the entire time. The way that you know later on in relationships with girls, or if I was trying to find my way in with a girl, that I'd be thinking about it all night. Like, is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? It was never like that. Um, we would go to bed and around then I I'd start to think, yeah, this is probably gonna this is probably gonna happen again. And and it did. And he would initiate, I would I would um sort of feign surprise and resistance and um and then we would go about it and and afterward after we had sort of fumbled through this totally uneducated, uncoordinated sex that we were having, um, there'd be this 
instant feeling of shame and regret. And so at first the shame was just something like, we shouldn't be doing this. We can't do this anymore. You know, we can't do this. And it would snap in the second after an orgasm. I don't, okay. I don't know if it's the same with women, but with guys, there's this, there's this effect where you go from one really discreet state of mind while you're horny and then orgasm and then a completely different state of mind. It is, yeah. it is, it is like a, a, a switch has been turned and it often in, in a bad situation is like, is like shame. It's like shame and regret. Yeah, right. I have experienced that uh, switch from orgasm to shame. It's like a, it's like a darkness surrounds me and like envelops me. Yeah, yeah. And um, that's exactly that's exactly how it felt. So I know the mood is a little somber right now. Uh, and this is not the time to be doing this, but it's happening. The promo code ETF show is still valid at URSportswear.com right now. And just check it out. So I don't in any way um, form an identity around and I don't form any deeper meaning about it. The meaning is really simple. It's just a thing that happens. It's an aberration. Yeah, for you, it's in a box and you're keeping it there and you and Theo aren't discussing it. And so- That's right. That's it's right. It's allowed to stay there. We're never discussing it. And over the years, never did. Other than the sort of, required oh we shouldn't be doing this thing immediately after but we never over the course of the years had one single substantial conversation about it did you wonder if he is gay like were you wondering if he was gay no no because um we both were very much interested in girls and in fact he's hooking up with girls way more than basically anyone else I know. He's he's a real player. He's a good-looking teenage boy. And uh and I'm not. So I'm I'm feeling bad about that, but I never doubted my own sexuality. I mean, I, I guess I I would think like is this is this gay? Is this gayness because I think for a lot of boys probably still today, um there's a fear like oh no, am I gay? Which is almost like, oh no, do I have a chronic disease? Mm -hmm. And you don't want that to be true because it upends your life. Right. But it was, but it was again, this untalked about aberration. And was it strictly oral sex or was there like penetration? There was both. Yeah, later later on there's penetration. Um, I don't think we did it right, like in the sense of like uh, experienced adult men in, in homosexual relationships don't use like Cetaphil face lotion, <laughs> you know? They might in a pinch. If you've got nothing else except non-commutogenic face lotion, you go with it. 
but um and i should i should say too um that by senior year i actually did have a girlfriend i had my first serious girlfriend and so did he so did theo uh he had hooked up with a lot of girls but he had never he never had a committed girlfriend and both of us had girlfriends roughly around the same time and we continued to we continued to do what we did without much more than kind of a sliver of remorse because if you have a girlfriend and you cheat on her with another girl that makes sense within that framework of sexuality if you have a girlfriend and there's this thing that you do with this boy who you're good friends with that goes basically unacknowledged in any emotional way then that's not a violation of the contract of a relationship so so we both continued to do that even while we were in relationships and didn't think anything about it do you feel like people had suspicions that the two of you were doing this i wondered i wondered about it um i don't know no one ever confronted us about it and there was never like a close call where a friend almost walked in on you or anything there was a close there were a couple close calls but um we hit our tracks pretty well so so high school came and went and we went off to college and um the the last time this happened the last time that the two of us did anything together was thanksgiving break of freshman year of college we came back um the two of us had sex uh i had sex with my ex-girlfriend it was a very sex-filled thanksgiving holiday right yeah i mean it's yeah first thanksgiving back yeah yeah yeah, you go hog wild over those four days and uh and then we went back to school again still no conversation about any of this or its meaning and there's nothing that let you know it was the last time no no there was no there was no like there was no crash or no thing that we finally reckoned with um and um and then the very last time this was even seemed like a a possibility was i went and visited him at his college over one of my spring over my spring break of sophomore year and um at that point i was in uh, a relationship with with uh with a girl and I stayed in his uh, in his dorm room. On your way to see him, were you wondering if it was going to happen? Yeah, yeah, I th- yeah. I was thinking about it. I, th- I think. Um, and that night, uh, when I stayed there, I heard him rustling in his bed, and that was always like one of the first steps was that we were nominally going to bed, but I'd hear rustling, and then his hand would would shoot out of the sheets and. And then I would begin. We were across the room from each other, though. And I heard him rustling around in his bed. And at that point, I was thinking, I don't want to do this. Um, It was the first time that I did think, if I do this, I am cheating on my girlfriend. It is cheating. It's not this other thing. And um, And had you told anyone about it at this point? No. No. Um, he, He rustled in his bed. And um, I didn't go over. He didn't come over. Nothing happened. And that was that. We had a good good time as friends hanging out over the next couple days. And then over the next few years, we just 
sort of fell out of touch. And this is something I've thought about and I've, I've talked with my wife about this. I'm, I'm married now. And um, it's such a strange thing for me to think about and talk about this whole experience because the whole act was predicated on this denial of what we were doing. It was complete denial to the point that afterwards we pretended like we didn't do what we just did. It was this, it was this slip up. We had sex and we slipped up and now we needed to get back to the business of macking on girls. Right. I gotta say it's weird even out loud saying we would have sex together because having sex with someone feels like such a, um, a conscientious decision and effort. And there was something that felt so um, so stripped of agency as though we were we were just doing these these acts together against our own will and against our own kind of better judgment and it be, and it also just became a kind of uh, just a role or like a routine. Just like any other routine, but yeah, but, it was like a ritual. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But with rituals, like that, also like autonomy is lost through that mm-hmm. because at a certain point, like you're with a ritual, there's 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 not a step that's like let's stop and question this, let's stop and question if this is what we want to be doing right now. You go to the next step. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I think in so in that sense, it did feel. Uh, it did feel like I was foregoing some amount of conscientious decision making. Right. I was. I felt conscious in in all my other decisions in life, um, at that point, and felt like I had agency over a lot of other stuff. And everything else seemed to make sense, except for this this one part of my life was just this I think you said this box that existed outside of normal reality it was compartmentalized and once we stepped out of it we went back to normal life that's our show our theme music is by Danny Janino and our art is by Jen Hamilton Special thanks to Libby Spears and Blueprint Films. Thanks for listening.